0: Well good evening everyone. Thanks for joining us on this live stream message from the Neighborhood Church. Thanks for tuning in via podcast or checking out this video. I hope you stick with us because tonight I want to have a conversation in a week that's been full of conversations. I know because I've had a lot of them with you. I know that you've had a lot of them in your circles. I know that like me I'm sure that so many of us, especially those of us who are white, have had good conversations with our black friends, our friends and brothers and sisters that are black and people of color. I know that you've had conversations within our own church. I hope and trust that those have been fruitful and honest. I know also you've probably had a lot of conversations with your children. We have, and I trust that you have also. It was interesting this week because this conversation our nation is having has touched every conversation we've had. So my daughters, who are eight and six years old, they've noticed. They've seen some of the news as they walk in and see the TV before we try to talk with them about it. They're aware And we're having these conversations. And so this week when we were talking about how there are still acts of violence and hatred and oppression toward people of color, and in particular those who are African American, my eight-year-old and six-year-old reacted simultaneously in the same way. They both audibly gasped, and then they both said, still? You see, they've heard the stories and the history of the civil rights movement of the 1960s. In school, they talked about Dr. Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks and Malcolm X and others. In our own family, we've had these conversations. But in their beautiful naivety, they thought that this kind of racism, personal and systemic, was a thing of the past. And so when we start to talk to them about this this week, when we start to expose them to the demonstrations and the protests this week, when we start to talk about an experience of people of color in our country, they're shocked. And they say, still, after all this time. And the truth is, it just opened our eyes as white parents that we have to keep having these conversations. We have to be intentional with these conversations. So to that end, before we get into our conversation this evening, I want to alert you to two opportunities, if you're a member of the Neighborhood Church, two opportunities that we're working together on this week. The first is that Thursday at 10 a.m., there's going to be made available to the members of TNC a Neighborhood Kids conversation via Zoom with our own uh, friend and member in our community that herself is a person of color, herself is a counselor in the school district and here in Garland. She's going to be facilitating a conversation with our kids about diversity and sensitivity and loving our neighbors and talking about the conversation our country is having in a way that's appropriate and informative for our kids. So that's happening this Thursday and more information will be posted, so keep an eye out for that. That's the first opportunity. The second is we're looking to organize a prayer vigil for our community because as God's people, no matter what we do, we're called to do it in the example of Jesus and with love and with prayer. And so those are just two opportunities. And I know that so many of you like me have been having conversations and getting out in your own way. But this evening, our conversation is going to take us back to Acts chapter 2. You might say, well, you looked at Acts chapter 2 last week, and you're right. We're going to revisit that Pentecost story. Last week, we talked about how it was the birthday of the church, and it was a pathway from the room and empowerment, where the Spirit of God descended and empowered a people, but then sent them on their pathway out into the street. And then ultimately, the Spirit of God united a diverse people under the umbrella of God's kingdom. And it was this empowering and sending and uniting that got a nation's attention. We're going to revisit this story in Acts chapter 2, because once... They got their nation's attention. The crowd was divided. The crowd was met with some curiosity, and they asked this question, Okay, what does this mean? While others in the crowd just dismissed them. They explained it away, and they left unchanged. I'd rather be a part of that crowd. That is curiously and thoughtfully asking that question, what does this mean? The Spirit of God is at work uniting and awakening and moving. So we need to sit with that question, okay, what does this mean? So before we allow the Apostle Peter to answer, Lord willing, next week, I think we need to sit and try to take a stab at And answer ourselves in this conversation. So we're going to be addressing that question, what does this mean theologically, socially, and then thirdly, personally. And before we let Peter answer, I believe that we as God's people need to wrestle with this question ourselves, because that same spirit in Acts chapter 2 still empowers us for this truth Telling, barrier breaking job that he is calling us to do. A conversation still needs having. Yes, Emma and Nora, it's still happening. And we, as God's people, need to sit with these questions. What does this mean theologically, socially, and personally? I hope you're able to find a couple prayers that we posted. One will be our opening prayer, I'd love to say together. And the other is from Ephesians chapter 3, that will be our closing prayer. There are two images I shared an hour ago in our church member group and then our public Facebook page. Perhaps you can find those and join me as we say these words together as our opening prayer. This is from the Anglican Church of North America. Can we say these words together if you have it in front of you? God of justice, peace, and righteousness, come into our midst this evening. Breathe your breath, your spirit of prophecy, your energy, your enlivening, your imagination on us. Wake us up, open our eyes, unplug our ears, that we might hear that we might see, that we might grieve, that we might dream, that we might follow the ways of your extraordinary kingdom. Amen and amen. Would you join me in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. I preached to this last week. We made a statement about what's been going on. But I want to revisit the story of Pentecost because I want to revisit that question. What does this mean? I hope you're there with me in a Bible in Acts chapter 2 verses 1 to 13. Here are these words. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Verse 12. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, Made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. And so before Peter answers this question, I want us to wrestle with it. And first, I want us to wrestle with this question theologically. What's going on here in this passage we looked at last week and we're revisiting this week? You know, it starts with a people who are in hiding. There are people who are in hiding. Because there are people who have been oppressed by their own nation. There are people in hiding because they're afraid because their friend and leader was publicly executed by the authorities of their own nation. By the authorities of the empire that opposed and oppressed them. This is what public executions do. They try to create fear and hiding and more oppression. The people gathered in that upper room in Acts chapter 2 were a people in hiding. And they were also a people in waiting. You see, their friend and leader didn't stay dead. He was raised victoriously, and he met with them and encouraged them. These fearful people, he taught them that there is a power that's coming that will send them out to turn the world upside down. And these people who are in hiding and who are in waiting are the same people who are empowered by the Spirit of God because God loves to choose the oppressed and opposed and looked down upon to get the world's attention. God reveals Himself to them and empowers them out of hiding in such a way with the fire and wind to where the crowd can't ignore them anymore. In fact, with all of this, it's apparent to them that, oh, God is in this, God is acting, he's getting our attention, so what does this all mean? And of course, Peter will stand up and provide an answer, but I think it's safe to say now, as God's people, with the same spirit, with the same truth-telling and barrier-breaking job, we can venture an answer as well as we revisit the scene. So, Here's, I think, at least a place to start in answering the question, what does this mean theologically? It's these three things at least. The first is that the Spirit empowers us to do what we could not do on our own. You see, Jesus had told them that the Spirit of God would come. To empower them to be his witnesses, starting in Jerusalem, then to Judea and Samaria, then to the ends of the earth. This is a people that had been told they were going to be blessed so that they could be a blessing to all nations. But this one nation had failed in that endeavor. So the Spirit of God comes to do for them what they could not do for themselves in their own power. Because the history of the human race shows us how we love to stay in our own tribes. So we needed a jump start as God's people to break down barriers so that all people might be invited into the kingdom that God is forming That's the first thing. The Spirit empowers us to do what we could not do on our own. So many of you have said, this problem is so big, what can we even do? I promise you the Spirit of God, whether you're white, black, Latino, Asian American, is calling you and empowering you to do even more than you could ask or imagine. Would we yield ourselves to His lead? The second thing that the Spirit is doing, and... Perhaps an answer to this question, what does this mean theologically, is that the Spirit moves us toward others beyond cultural barriers. I know that some of you, because we've looked at this passage twice, are saying, yeah, but these were all Jewish people gathered for this festival of Pentecost. But what's fascinating is that the Jewish people at this time had dispersed and filled the whole known world. And they had become enculturated and encapsulated in all of these different nations. And their native language, their mother tongue had become these unique cultural spaces. And for this nation to be a blessing to all nations, the Spirit of God had to move and awaken these people wherever they were scattered. And so the Spirit of God moves us toward others beyond cultural barriers, even barriers like language and cultural identity. This is what the Spirit of God is doing. It's what He did in Acts chapter 2. It's what He's doing here and now. And the degree to which we are crossing Barriers is the degree to which we are following the barrier breaking spirit's lead. The third thing, what does this mean theologically, is at least this the spirit unites a diverse community into a kingdom family. The spirit of God unites a diverse community, which is what I was just describing, that diverse community, into a kingdom family. This should not be a surprise to these followers who are in hiding and waiting because this is so much in line with Jesus' example, always reaching out to those who are on the edges of the boundaries and barriers of who should receive God's blessing. The first words we see Jesus Saying in his sermon on the mount in Matthew chapter 5, is blessed are the poor in spirit, the meek, the merciful, the hungry and thirsty for justice and righteousness. Jesus says the geography of the kingdom of God is for you and you and you. Even when you're opposed, oppressed, and exhausted, you are squarely within the reach of God's kingdom the holy spirit is moving compelling us to follow jesus's lead paul will write in second corinthians 5 we've been given a reconciliation ministry because christ's love compels us propels us He is calling us to follow his example of what he has done. He will not ask you to do something he has not done himself, even if it means touching those who you would not have touched previously. To paraphrase the late, great Dorothy Day, she said, Love casts out fear, but in order to love somebody, you've got to get close enough. And I think that fear keeps us trapped in our rooms But the Spirit of God is moving us out to break down these barriers. We're following Jesus' lead. And by the way, followed by more and more movement further and further out to everyone, everywhere. We can say confidently that the Spirit of God is still doing this. The same Spirit empowers us for the same truth-telling and barrier-breaking work. What does it mean theologically? The Spirit is filling us up, moving us out, and knitting us together. The Spirit empowers us to do what we could not do on our own. The Spirit moves us toward others beyond cultural barriers. And the Spirit unites a diverse community into kingdom family. So if that's the kind of work the Spirit of God is always up to, what might this mean socially? That's our second question I want to wrestle with. Many of you have probably seen this video. It's been making the rounds in the last week. And in the first of his new series, Uncomfortable Conversations with the Black Man, ESPN analyst and former NFL athlete, Emmanuel Acho, shares this story at the beginning of this video. I was grateful to Kristen for mentioning this to me in our small group conversation we had this week. He shares a story of riding his bike around Lake Austin and he says, I saw a white girl up ahead of me and so as he's riding his bike closer and closer to her He does what cyclists always do when they're sharing the path with others. He said, when I was 15 meters away from her, I said, on your left. But she didn't move off course. And he shares that he was thinking, okay, if she doesn't move off course, if she doesn't wake up, we're in for a collision. So now he's 10 meters away from her and he says louder, on your left. She still doesn't. Move. And then he's five meters away from her and he says, On your left! And she still doesn't move. And you see, the fact is, if she wasn't going to change her course of action, uh, a collision was imminent. So, of course, the collision happens. And he uses that, Emmanuel Acho, to illustrate how it took her removing her earbuds to be able to hear his approach and he uses that to illustrate how for 50 years and more black people in America in the 1960s and beyond have said we're oppressed and then decades later we're oppressed and then now in this present moment we're oppressed the collision that was always inevitable I think has hit I think it's hit Because, in my own point of view, I'm seeing white America removing their earbuds in mass. I'm hearing from my white friends and neighbors that I need to pay attention now. I've cared, I've seen it, but I have to pay attention. I'm hearing people say, I'm uncomfortable, and I've got to pay attention to that. I need to educate. Myself, This is a big deal, and I think the people of color in our lives are saying, yes, this is what we've been saying for decades, but have we been listening? Have I been listening? Have I been paying attention? It feels different this time, this collision. And so yesterday I was talking to a friend who's black in our community, and he says, It is uncomfortable. You're right to feel that way. And he said, Good. We all need to feel uncomfortable. The pot has been stirred and we need to let it stay stirred. I asked this person that lives here in our community, I said, It feels different for me. Does it feel different for you and in your circles? And he said, Yes. Now, he said, It may be different, and you may be paying attention more. We all may be paying attention more. But it begs the next question, now what? What's next? I think the Spirit of God has awakened us. And for white America, myself included, the first step is awareness. And what we see socially is that it's not just white America, it's all of America— And we see this outpouring, if you'll allow my loud illustration. This outpouring that has made visible the experience of people of color. It's made visible in this collision, our black brothers and sisters, our indigenous history, and the way we've reacted to them our Asian American brothers and sisters, our Latino American brothers and sisters, we have seen this outpouring of all of these people that have been shouting for decades and generations. And for at least white America, the first step is a greater awareness. And I think what's happening is this next movement from awareness to communication. I'm seeing, and you're seeing, and you're having more and more stories being shared of people of color and their experience in this country. I need to confess to you that I've heard stories from my friends this week that I have never heard in years that I've known them. And it's because I never asked. I never asked about their experience of racism in this country. And i got to confess that we need to have more of these conversations. Because awareness, I think, leads to conversations, and a crucial piece of conversations is listening, taking the earbuds out. I think once we have awareness and conversations across all of these different barriers and boundaries, that leads us, thirdly, to empathy, In protests and demonstrations all across America and in our neighborhood this week, we saw moments like this one. All peoples gathered, demonstrating, protesting, invited to kneel in silence and stillness for 8 minutes and 46 seconds. This is a powerful demonstration. Obviously, that time is not incidental eight minutes and 46 seconds it's the time that that police officer had his knee on George Floyd's neck and in that stillness with your knee on the ground you cannot ignore George Floyd you cannot ignore what it must have been like you cannot ignore the time in that stillness that feels like an eternity, you cannot ignore the pain of your own need that could have only been a fraction of what George Floyd experienced. It's cultivating empathy. It's cultivating some semblance of sharing some fraction of the pain. There's a phrase, a saying, in the Asaro tribe of Indonesia, that goes like this. Knowledge is only a rumor until it lives in the muscle. Knowledge is only a rumor until it lives in the muscle. What does this mean socially? I think at least in this collision that's happened, the Spirit of God is moving us to awareness, to communication, to empathy, Ultimately, kinship. How is this experience getting into your muscle? Is it getting you up and out into kinship? Only then, after awareness, communication, empathy, and then ultimately we can get to kinship. This is the gift and goal of the Spirit's work. Kinship. Kinship. Seeing humanity as a family. We saw at a protest this week a sign that said, Stop killing God's children. Only then can we start to work and move next step if we begin to see... All people, not as a person to be feared or an enemy to be hated or someone to be avoided. Only when we see those people as brother and sister and father and mother and friend and relative can we begin to move and work in the way that the Spirit of God is calling us. What does this mean socially? The collision has happened. We've got to pay attention and move together toward kinship. But I'm telling you this not as an expert, not as an expert by a mile. I'm telling you this as a conversation because I'm wrestling with that question, what does this mean personally? Obviously, I can't answer for you because I'm a white male. That is the product of my own experience and my own story. But I need to pay attention in the same ways that you do. What's next? What does this mean? I think however we start, it's going to be honoring every kingdom impulse. I've started with an impulse of listening and reaching out to others in my circle and hearing their story. But I've also had this impulse to think about my own life and my own self in ways I've never thought about. As a person who is of a particular culture, of a particular race. Part of my privilege is being able to opt out of too many conversations about race because I can't name and own and experience my own story as a white man in America. And I thought how this week, the last significant conversation about my race and the race of my friends The last serious conversation I had was in September. And it was with three of my brothers and friends. One was black and two were Hispanic. And I was thinking this week, that was my last significant conversation on race in America. And that was eight months ago. But I know that it wasn't their last conversations that they've had. And one of these men that I was having this conversation with, as we were talking about this this last week or two, he said, now sit with these two questions. Why is that the last conversation you've had? And the second one is, when's your next one? I think that's part of what it means for me personally. Part of what it means for me personally is having intentional conversations with my white daughters who live and move and operate in a world that is diverse, but is still plagued with the same things they thought were ancient history. As we've exposed them to what's going on in our world, we've seen our daughters process this. And one of the ways is standing right here. It's something that Emma painted. And there are different hearts with different skin tones, all together, yet all distinct. We saw her use sidewalk chalk this week while we were sitting in the yard we wondered what they were coloring and we saw that she was writing things like a person is a person no matter what she was writing things like we need to love everyone and she drew a picture of two little girls of different skin colors hand in hand we're realizing that we have to be intentional With these conversations, because our children need to process their own experience. And what does this mean for you personally? I can't answer that for you. I'm trying to tell you I'm right there with you as a fellow learner and processor. But I'm convinced that it starts by honoring your spirit led kingdom impulses. Because the outpouring is apparent, and we can't ignore it. So now, for God's people, how you answer that question is going to be your piece of the puzzle, your conversations, your listening, your empathy, your action, your awareness, all of these things that you do as you move at the Spirit's impulse, because we still have a truth telling barrier breaking job to do that starts with the spirit of God and ends with kinship where we see all humanity as family each impulse that's where you've got to take it from here because we can have a conversation about what does it mean theologically we can have a conversation about what it means socially But the only person that can really do the heavy lifting on what does it mean personally is you and I together. And this week, someone in our church, another person of color, said that in all of this movement, every little thing helps. Because this is a generational work. This is a kingdom work. And this is a work that we all need to be intentional because God can take each individual kingdom impulse, each spirit-led impulse and work it toward His good and His unity. I want to close with a prayer that Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 3. That's the other picture that other post that was in our member group and our public page. I would love if we could close in prayer by reading these words out loud together. Because whatever kingdom impulse, whatever it means, it's going to have to be rooted in prayer and love and the example of Jesus and the movement of the Spirit. And this prayer is one we must continually pray together. So let's close with these words from Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being. of all the fullness of God. We pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.